This is always kind of an interesting week of the year. We're on that kind of transition from the old and the new. And so it's a little bit awkward sometimes of like, ah, oh, do we focus on the old? Do we focus on the new? Uh, this morning we are going to do a little of both. We're going to culminate that with taking communion together. And then I believe there's a prophetic word from the Lord for us about the new year. It was really strong on my heart. It's a one, one word, and it was fun because in our prayer time this morning before the service with the, the ministry team serving today, uh, as we always do, right after the intercession time for the service, we say, what's the one word of the day? And sometimes it's really obvious already. Sometimes it's come up in the prayer time. Sometimes I got something on my heart. I didn't say anything, and one of our, our prayer team members just shouted out this one word, and that word had not yet been spoken at all in our prayer time before, during, or after. And so that was kind of a neat confirmation that this is on God's heart for this morning. It's a very familiar word, but how many of you know, just because something's familiar doesn't mean God's done with it, right? <laughs> that God is constantly in the, the business, so to speak, of taking things deeper, more powerful, more full for the rest of eternity. And so we do not have the mindset around here of like, oh, been there, done that. That's called complacency, if not arrogance. The heart of a disciple is, I am constantly poor in spirit before the throne of grace, hungry for more. Even if I feel like I've heard it a thousand times, that doesn't mean it's perfectly made Christ-like in me yet, or that I'm perfectly, perfect, perfectly Christ-like yet. That's like ridiculous to even come out of our mouth, right? So that's just more of like a humble hunger of you've got more for us. So we're going to finish there. But before we get there, I do want to take us into a little bit of reflecting on last year and coming into the, to the new years. And I know sometimes it feels a little bit maybe inauthentic to make a big spiritual deal of the new year. Because we see New Year's resolutions and how they can just be kind of like cavalier and insignificant. I remember reading a percentage one time about how many New Year's resolutions are, all, are followed through. And it's, you know, it's not a pretty picture. It's like New Year's Day, the, the, there is like a 1,000% increase, you know, in gym attendance that immediately drops off like four days later. And it's like... You know, that, 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 that's not encouraging, right? Um, but I am a very big fan of the New Year's and making resolutions in regards to what God is saying about our new year. Because we have the firm belief that God is never done with us and that really the Christian life is about a series of new beginnings, that, that's called repentance. <laughs> the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said. There's the gospel. So repent and believe. That's a new beginning. Every single day we wake up, there is a new beginning. His mercy is new every morning, and he's inviting us into more of the fullness of the gospel. So we should not be unattracted when someone talks about new 
As a Christian, we should be like, I'm all about new. (laughs) I want new. I want transformation. I want all of the new power and promises and provision that God has for my life. Because if I don't want new, that means I'm done. And I don't want to be done. I like me, but not that much. Right? (laughs) Like, thank God there is new things that he wants to do. And New Year's is a healthy time to reflect on both what he's done and then really move towards, and God, what are you doing next in my life? And there's a very cool biblical precedent for that that I would just want to walk us through for a little bit as we get into taking the Lord's Supper together, which is our beautiful Christian sacred practice of not only reflecting one on what he's done, but it's a renewal. It is the, the symbol and the declaration of faith of the ultimate renewal of who we are, that we are a new creation, that we live in a new covenant by the body and blood of Jesus. And then all of the, the newness that's coming our way in those promises of God. But there is a very fun, I think, interesting biblical history and tradition of the new year, the Jewish new year. It's actually even in the Bible. And there's a few words in there that are very important, or a few principles, I would say, that I kind of extracted the words in there that are important for us to learn like God's people to do well throughout the year, but the new year is an especially important time. So you guys can turn to the, you know it, the party chapter of the Bible, Leviticus 23. If you don't know, those are the seven mandatory parties of God's people. So if any of you think that God is not fun, you're wrong. God declared that his people would have seven mandatory parties. A couple of them are required week-long vacations where you just party with your family, with your community, in celebration and gratitude of who God is, what he's done. So there's music and dancing and food, all in joyous praise of who God is. He even told them to live outside in tents for a week and and (laughs) act out. Like literally, think about the creativity and playfulness of God. He had the whole people go live in tents for a week to act out the story of what God had done hundreds of years prior when he safely brought his people out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. So tucked in that party chapter of of Leviticus 23 is actually the New Year's celebration. And I want us to look at verses 23 to 28. How the Jewish people were instructed to begin the year. Verse 23, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with the blast of trumpets, a holy convocation or a holy gathering. You shall not do any ordinary work. And you shall present a food offering to the Lord. 
And the Lord then spoke to Moses saying, now on the 10th day of this seventh month, so see the first day and the 10th day, so there's 10 days passing in this first month, or in this New Year's, and I know it's the seventh month, but that's confusing because there's a Jewish calendar that is a civic or an economic calendar and a religious calendar, and so it's kind of complicated, and my little brain doesn't quite understand it, but all I know is the seventh month in the first day is the new year. Trust me. (laughs) Now, on the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves, which means fast for 24 hours. So some of you are like, amen, that's an affliction for the Lord. And present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. That's a lot of like, you know, churchy language that can fly over our heads, but there are some Deep and powerful things in here. So the seventh month, I think it's called Tishrie. Pardon me if you are Hebrew and were like offended at my terrible non-Hebrew skills. That is the most sacred month of the calendar year because of the great importance of the number seven. Seven days of creation, seven days of God's, it's the completion, perfection. So the seventh month was the most important, and that's why the Day of Atonement, which is the highest holy day in the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement, the day when the people are made right with God, it doesn't get any more important than that day. That's like the culmination, but it's interesting. It's the start of the year. It says the people were told to begin, quote, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets. So that's the shofar. The big old ram's horn would be blown at the beginning of battle, declaring God's victory ahead of time. So that's pretty cool. That's this Old Testament precursor to our faith that in God's army, you shout Shouts of victory before the battles won. That's kind of cool. But it was also blown on the new year to declare a wake-up call and a remembrance of what God has done. That's why it says a memorial. And so... If you think about what does it mean to make something a memorial, it's remember what God has done. And so what emerged out of this was the now Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year tradition of remembering the creation of the world. And so what is celebrated on this first day of the seventh month is the beginning of the world and thus the beginning of the year but it goes much deeper than that. A memorial is a call to remember God's covenants, remember God's promises, remember God's purposes, way back even into creation of the world when Adam and Eve were created. And so that first day of the year is a remembrance of God's creation and how God created Adam and Eve with this special purpose, unlike any other of God's creatures 
any other of God's creation. He said, these ones are very good. They are made in my image and they're made to go be fruitful and multiply and rule and represent me in the world. Remember how God created you. Remember your purpose. Start the new year. And here's, this is good. This is good. Start the new year remembering who you are in God's eyes. The promises that he's made to you. The covenants by his grace that he will not break. That's a good way to start the year. It's right here in the word. God's people did that to start their year. And then interestingly, they had a 10-day period between that first blast of the trumpet and the day of atonement. And in between that time, there was 10 days. And the Jewish tradition calls that the 10 days of repentance or the 10 days of awe. And it's meant to be a time where as you start the year thinking about creation and who God's created you to be, the promises, the covenant, then take 10 days to reflect on your life to be in awe of God, and as necessary, to come back to him on the Day of Atonement, to return to that divine design. That's what repentance means. It means to turn. It means to change. Change your mind. Change your thinking. So you, 10 days, reflect on the year in a way where you're asking God, God, is there a way I need to return back to you, that I need to renew my covenant identity with you, that I can step more fully into alignment with my identity in you. And so for 10 days, the people reflect on that, and the shofar would blow every morning. And depending on the location and tradition, sometimes it would blow 30 times a day. And the intention of that is it's meant to be a prophetic wake-up call. The, the midrash, the, the, uh, the oral tradition of the Jewish people has that the, the trumpet, the shofar, would be blown as a parallel of Isaiah, which says, wake up, you sleepers. And so it's meant to be this like literal but spiritual wake-up call. I mean, 30 times a day, I'm, I might get a little annoyed. <laughs> I'm in my tent, like, okay, I got the message. I need to think about my life. But it's like, wake up. Are you fully awake to God's purposes, to God's design? Are you aligned within your covenant relationship with God? Hear his wake-up call. Are you willing to come back to him in the ways that you've gone astray? Are you willing to listen to him in the ways he's calling you to move forward? Wake up. And that is not a bad thing to do at all. That is even why in this, in this next month of January to come, as we always do, we start with a, a fasting and feasting idea. And we're really going to kick that off on Saturday morning, 10 a.m., right here. We strongly encourage you to be here. We, I think it's the most important gathering of the year. If you have to choose between coming next Sunday and next Saturday, come on Saturday morning. 
That's how important this gathering is. Because we want to kick off the year listening to God's vision for our life and then getting into this mode of reflection for three weeks of January where we're listening to God, hungry, humbly, saying, God, I want what you have. And so there's the both reflection and listening about the last year and is there ways that I can come back to you? Is there ways that I can line up to you? But it's really about the faith-filled feasting on what God has next where we're listening for his divine instructions and battle plan and visionary kingdom goals for your life in lots of different areas. So you go into next year fully armed with the covenantal promises of God. But that comes through this kind of intentionality, 10 days of reflecting. And that's so hard to come by in our world, right? It's so hard to slow down and reflect on life and listen to God and be very intentional about coming up with those God-given, Holy Spirit-spoken visions, goals, dreams, battle plans. But it's right here in the Bible. This is how the Jewish people started the year. And so in a microcosm of that, that's part of what we're going after, to get better at reflecting, slowing down, listening in our overly busy and distracted world. As we enter the new year, really the question there that we're asking is how are we making space to reflect on our prior year, reflect on what God's saying, and where necessary, even be willing to return to him, repent, and move forward in those areas he's calling us to grow, which is all just good news of how he wants to bring more of his abundance into our life. And then lastly, they move on to the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the highest holy day of the year. So this is 10 days into the new year. They've been remembering, they've been reflecting, they've been repenting, and now Yom Kippur. The high priest on that day alone would go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrificial offering on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of sins. That is the day of celebration to be made right with God through having your sins forgiven through a sacrifice. Now you all know where that's pointing. That is obviously pointing to the one who went into the Holy of Holies once and for all and the veil is torn. But Jesus told us to remember this sacrifice in the taking of communion, the giving of thanks. That's why it's called the Eucharist when we take the bread and the wine or the juice and it's called the Eucharist. That literal, that Greek word means give thanks in remembrance for the sacrifice that Jesus did to make that covenant relationship that we have with God, that new covenant relationship where our sins are forgiven, the veil is torn, we have access to God, the Holy Spirit fills us up, and we have a covenant oneness with God that makes the angels jealous. It's a new covenant. So putting those things together, we have 
I believe, a very spiritual, powerful blueprint for the new year. Remember his past covenant promises to all of creation and to you specifically. Sometimes we need to up our game in remembering his promises. Reflecting on them to say, what? oh yeah, God promised me that. Oh yeah, I believed God for that. Oh yeah, until circumstances got hard, man, that was central in my, in my faith, in me going after. Sometimes it's good to remember those promises of God. To reflect on the past year, which may lead to two things, gratitude for what he's done and or some healthy returning and repentance for where he's calling you to live closer with him for his glory and your good. Or the renewal of our identity by the grace of God. I love that verse in Leviticus 23 where it's a precursor of the complete and final work that Jesus would do. When it's talking about the day of atonement, in verse 28, it says, you shall not do any work on that day, for it is a day of atonement. There is zero amount of work that we can do to make ourselves right with God. We better be flinging ourselves completely on the sacrifice of Christ and his perfection that becomes ours through faith in him. To be resurrected into a life of good works. And that's all over the Bible too. But we don't earn it, not for one little penny of it. I love it. He's like, don't work. And that's just a beautiful posture to come before that throne of grace when we're reflecting on communion and just to come with that spiritual poverty before his throne and say, I can't work this out at all. I can't do anything to deserve this new covenant of complete forgiveness of sins. Of as Colossians 1, 20 to 23 says, that if we continue believing in him, trusting in him, then he sees us as blameless in his eyes, without blemish, without even accusation. That's perfection. As we take on the perfection of Christ, we are perfect in God's eyes. So shame and guilt cannot be your friends anymore. So we have a holy practice to do these things. And so we're going to do this right now. We're going to pass out the communion elements. And we're just going to take a couple minutes of reflection. We're going to receive the elements together as an act of worship. And then I have one final charge. It is that word that I spoke of at the beginning that I believe as we renew our covenant identity by grace in Christ then there is some boldness he's wanting us to walk out of that time with. But let's start together by doing what Jesus said. So Luke 22, verses 19 and 20, it says, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. 
He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That has the same exact word as Leviticus 23 of the memorial. There it is. The memorial. God's into you and I practicing, remembering what he's done. Some strange reason we have a really bad propensity to forget what God has done. To forget his covenant, his creation, his promises. So Jesus says, every time you eat and drink, remember what I have done. And then he goes on to say, in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new way of God relating with humanity that's in my blood and it's poured out for you. And we know that new covenant is oh so precious. God was doing something new. God's always been about relationship with his people. But this is a whole new level where the Holy Spirit will come and dwell inside of us permanently. Where Jesus himself said to the one who believes in me, the one who loves me, my father and I will make our home, our tent is the literal word, within him. God himself resides within us through faith in Christ. That is the oneness, the covenant closeness that is made possible through Jesus Christ. That you are one with God. He is in you. There is a relationship more intimate in God's design than any other where he literally dwells in you. That is beautiful. That is the intimacy for which we are designed and is what we celebrate through the communion, through the taking of the Lord's Supper. It is what we give thanks for in this Eucharist of Jesus Christ. So let's pass these elements out. And we're just going to take a few minutes to reflect together. So take one and pass it. All right, let's take a couple minutes kind of doing that New Year's reflection around the, the Lord's Supper. It is a new covenant that he has made possible in his body and blood. But I want to encourage us to Reflect on this past year. Look back on the year. We almost never do that, right? Just take a couple minutes. And is there gratitude? Or is there repentance? Both are great. Repentance is not a dirty word. <laughs> it just means saying yes to what you hear God saying to draw closer to him. Turn away from something that was never good for you in the first place. That misses the mark of God's good intentions for your life. That's what the word sin means. It means miss the mark. It's an archery term. Like you shot the arrow in the wrong direction. And God's saying aim at what matters most. What glorifies me and what brings you into that abundant life of knowing me. That's repentance. So I encourage you to Take a few minutes and reflect on the blessings, the breakthroughs, the things that you can be grateful for in this year. And then be willing with boldness to say, Lord, is there any way you're calling me back to you? A way I've missed the mark. 
a way you're inviting me to draw closer to you in this new year. So let's take a couple minutes on these things. And just to make it simple, now you know where we're going, let's just take a couple minutes first on gratitude. Holy Spirit, we pray you would bring to mind holy gratitude. Things about our personal life, our inner world with you, our intimacy with you, with our spouse, with our kids, with our job, with ministries we serve in, breakthroughs, areas where we're grateful. Would you give us holy remembrance right now that we turn up to praise and gratitude? just spend a minute boldly asking, Lord, is there, way, is, there, is there a way you're calling me to come back to you, to repent, to turn, a way that I'm missing the mark that you want better for me in this new year? Whatever might be coming to mind here, you make sure now you put that at the feet of the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, that I am perfect in your eyes. I receive my forgiveness. Shame and guilt are not my friends because of the new covenant that you made possible. And on that note, let's take the elements together, both the, the bread and the juice, as receiving a renewal of our, our identity through Christ by grace, forgiven, perfect in his eyes, new covenant, with a new kingdom coming each and every day. in your own way, close this time with prayer.
thank you, Jesus, that your body and blood make us whole. What was broken for us, what was spilt for us, is our redemption, is our life. Your body and blood make us whole. We receive that renewal of our identity as your beloved children afresh. Seal it in our hearts as the most important thing about us, <laughs> the most important thing in life. Beloved children of God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, and to close our time, just a quick encouragement that I believe God wants us to grab onto for the new year. So I was praying about this message. I felt one word come to mind as a charge for us. And not to muster up on our own strength, but one of those things, it's all by grace. So the best we ever have to offer is to be poor in spirit that says, God, I need your help once again. And Jesus winks and says, all of heaven is yours. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That never changes. So I believe God's calling us to come to the throne of grace for an increase in faith. That's the word, faith. And I was like, God, that's, that's a word that we all know. He's like, no, come on, man, I got something for you. And so I studied the word in a new way, and I was blown away. I can't believe I hadn't seen this before, but it is unbelievably encouraging, challenging, powerful, the way in which God wants to, to operate in us as people of faith. Let's go to Hebrews 11.1, 1, where it says, faith is the assurance of of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So meditating on that verse and, and pondering and praying and faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So it's out there. It's out there. I don't yet have it. I'm hoping for it. The convictions, a conviction of things not, you could add in there yet, because that's the sense, not yet seen. It's like, all right, all right, I'm getting stirred up, Lord. But I know there's a little more. So I dug in a little deeper. And this blew my mind. So the word assurance... It's the Greek word hypostasis. Now, it means like the essence of something, the substance of something. So that's cool. But here we go. This is, I've never heard this and I'm so old that I've been in the church forever. I don't know how I haven't heard this. The, the literal meaning of this word is a title deed, a piece of paper, a legal document the one who is carrying this legal document 
has the power to affect a transfer of property and or show that they have the legal right to possess it. <laughs> what? Faith is my title deed to transfer the property of heaven onto earth. It's my legal right to say everything up there is mine. Ah, I don't even know what to do with that. Let's, let's wrestle with this as a community, all right? Like, I think that's the best we can do. That is um, unbelievable. I mean, it fits. Once you start to get into it, it fits the prayer of Jesus, actually how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6.10. You guys know it. We've worked through it. There's some beautiful phrases in there where he teaches us to, in prayer, make commands. Arrive now, kingdom of my Father. Come into being, will of my Father, as it already is in heaven, so on earth. And you're not commanding God. You're, you're living in the authority as a child of God to make commands and demands on the spirit realm, which is the greatest reality, far bigger than the natural, and you are taking your proper place of authority as a child of God and commanding the spirit realm in the spirit as it already is in heaven, so also on earth. That fits perfectly with the literal definition of faith. It's your title deed your legal ownership of all of the property in heaven. And if anybody's asking and questions you and makes you want to doubt, can you pray a prayer as it already is in heaven, so also on earth? Who are you to make that prayer? Well, I've got the legal document. It's my faith that gives me the legal property to say, yeah, I own that. I'm in possession of it. Not by my works. What did Jesus say? Let's go back to the first thing he says in his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's all yours by grace, through faith. Lord, increase my faith. The conviction of what is not yet seen. One of the most dangerous and frequent things that we all do is make conclusions about God's character, will, and promises based on what we see. See, meaning what we're experiencing in our lives. The circumstances. Well, this and this and this is happening, therefore, that must be God's will. Because how could anything happen that's not God's will? 
Well, there's two very biblical reasons. Because there is a spiritual war where the ruler of this heir named Satan is doing everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy and come against God's will, number one. And then there's number two. Humans make really bad decisions that are against God's will and cause all sorts of evil to be unleashed in the world. So one of the most faith-filled things we can do is to look at the circumstances of our lives and say that is not God's will. How do I know it's not God's will? Because I've read the Bible. I've looked at the life of Jesus. I've looked at the teachings of Jesus. So this needs to come over time, but there's a growing confidence in God's will. That's why Romans 12.1 talks about when the Holy Spirit renews our mind. It's so that we can approve God's will. As Bill Johnson says, that word approve, it's is awesome. That's the word that an a, uh, expert in being able to tell counterfeit versus real paintings. Forgery. Only an expert knows if the Mona Lisa is a fake. Because they're an expert right? That's the word for us being able to look at the circumstances of life with a renewed mind based on the Holy Spirit and the scripture and be like, nope, that's not God's will. That's a counterfeit. That's a counterfeit kingdom. That's why it says that faith is the conviction about what we don't see. So we have to completely get rid of this unbiblical, unfaith, if not from the pit of hell idea that just because it's what we're experiencing, it's God's will. That is literally the opposite of what Jesus modeled for us everywhere he went. He was like, nope, that's not God's will. Here's some physical healing. Nope, that's not God's will. Here's a deliverance. Nope, that's not God's will. Get rid of your shame. Receive a new identity. Nope, that's not God's will. You're forgiven of your sins. And over and over and over, right? Jesus is modeling that this world is broken, hurting, and fallen. And we, with eyes of faith, do not rely on what we see in front of us to tell us what God's will is. We rely on the nature and character of God, and then we believe it even when we don't see it. That's what this verse is saying. The conviction of something we haven't yet seen. That's so huge. So we haven't yet seen it come to pass on earth. Where do we see it? But we see it with eyes of faith in heaven, as it already is in heaven. Even though I'm not seeing it yet happen on earth, that doesn't mean I give up. That doesn't mean I stop praying. That doesn't mean it's not God's will. It doesn't mean it's not God's heart. It means keep going to war. Because just because you haven't seen it yet is the exact place you're supposed to have faith. In fact, the opposite of faith, you could say, unbelief, therefore, if faith is the deep conviction of the things you haven't seen, what is unbelief? Unbelief is coming to conclusions about God's nature, will, and character, and promises based on what you see. 
I don't want to be that guy. It's so much better to say, God, help my faith. Help me believe that even though I see this suffering, this brokenness, this pain, this hurt, I believe this is not your will. Even though I see all this brokenness around me on earth, I see into the eyes of heaven. I see what's already in heaven, that beautiful picture of the perfection of heaven. And I believe that. I believe that is your will on earth as it already is in heaven. And I'm going to keep believing until I see it come to pass. I'm convicted by my own message, okay? So this is not preaching from perfection. This is like, oh, I want that life more, God. I want to live that more. I don't want to be so weak that when I believe something and pray it twice and it doesn't happen, I give up because I don't see it. That's unbelief. It's not not a holy response of, well, I guess it's your will. It's unbelief. If it's based on a clear biblical truth of God's heart and God's nature, God's will, God's promises, then if I stop praying, it's unbelief. And I know it's hard. I've prayed for things for a very long time that haven't yet changed. Increase my faith. So I believe in the new year, God is wanting to bless us. I know this has been like very challenging, (laughs) but that's okay. That was for me. This wasn't really for you. This was for me. God spoke to me and you just had to be part of my processing. So... But I really believe, and this is not meant to be, it's not meant to be condemning. There's a challenge because it's real. It's the Bible. So if you haven't been with us long enough, if, if, if you don't want to be challenged, this isn't the church for you because it's the Bible and it's good news. So I truly believe he is inviting us into this new year to say, come to my throne of grace and watch how I grow your faith. That one this year. Watch how I grow your faith. Watch how I increase your faith. If you will throw yourself upon my throne of grace. That's where we're going. Let's pray on that. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace and say, increase our faith. We thank you, I've said it many times, but I love that healing story in the Bible where all the guy can offer is, I believe, help my unbelief. And that was enough for a healing, a miracle. So that's an encouragement to us along the way. Your grace covers so much of all of this. Thank you, Lord even in our half-belief, even in our unbelief, as we're trying to believe and asking for help in believing, your grace covers all of it, even to miraculous results. We ask your Holy Spirit would increase our faith. We want to be more and more like those people that Jesus spoke of in Mark 11, 
where he says, in prayer, ask anything you wish and it will be done. Speak to the mountain, it will move into the sea. Do not doubt in your heart, but believe <laughs> that it has come to pass and it will be done. Help us see with those eyes of faith that it's already done. It's already done in heaven. Believe that you have received it. Then it will be done, Jesus said. We pray in 2024, Lord, you grow us to be people of that kind of faith that we already have received it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's say amen one more time as a shout like a shofar declaration that we're saying I believe, help my unbelief, increase my faith. And so shout it like a shofar, a nice long amen on three. One, two, three, amen!